All right, we're going to get ready to start our message. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. And let's open with prayer as we get ready for the message. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to look at your word and to see what you would have us to to learn and accomplish. We ask you to guide and lead and, and bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Galatians 3. Starting at verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuls or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were this promise is made. He said, not and to seeds as of to many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant which was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 400 years and 30 years after, cannot disannul, and that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance of, is of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So we're going to look at this a little bit uh, as we continue into the... the idea of promise by grace and it starts out in this in this section saying Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us that uh, for it is written cursed be everyone that hangs on the tree so he just got done talking about Jesus having died on the tree he became the curse the law brings a curse and remember we talked about this last week if you don't keep every one of the laws then you're under the curse of the law which is death, eternal death. So nobody, and we talked about this last week, nobody can earn heaven. You can't do enough good works to be able to say, okay, God, I deserve heaven, because he's going to say, no, you violated a law. And every one of us has violated at least one of the 613 laws. Most of us, and probably all of us, have violated one of the Ten Commandments. So we don't have to go into all the law, and so the curse is falling. And Jesus, uh, or Paul in this letter in verse 15, uh, 14 says, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus. So we want to think about this. What is the blessing of Abraham? Well, Abraham was told that he was going to have a great nation. His family was going to make a great nation that was going to be numbered. If you could number the stars of the heaven or the sand of the sea, you could, he could not number his, his descendants. Well, every time they try to number the stars, they find out that there are more out there. Uh, it's a bit amazing. If you've ever studied you know, in, in any kind of bit of astronomy, they used to say there were 14,000 stars, and then some of them said, no, you counted too many, there were only 8,000. And, know, and now we're up into the trillions of stars. And, and every time they point the Hubble telescope someplace and let it sit there for a while, all it ends up is becoming a great big white mass of stars. So we, we know that the stars seem to be without number. And so when God made his promise to Abraham, it was going to be, you can't even number your kids. You're not going to be able to number your kids. The other promise, those that blessed him would be blessed. Those that cursed him would be cursed. Now that specifically talks about Israel, but this verse is talking that we are made part of the promise. So we could easily say that even though we are not Israel, we are not part of Israel, that God says, when you bless his children, you're going to be blessed. And when you curse his children, you're going to be cursed. 
And believe me, I have seen that over the years where people have spoken against Christians and, and, and came against Christians and they get judgment. They're kind to Christians and kind to God's people and they get blessings. It is just one of the promises out there. And he says that all nations will be blessed in your seed. And it, very specifically, if you look back into uh, Genesis 12, you, and you look at the promise, it says, through your seed. Not, not all of his family, but through the seed. And that refers to, as Paul says, Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. The one that was going to make it possible for us as Gentiles to be made part of God's family. You know, and I don't know if you really fully understand that we are engrafted into the, the tree, the olive tree, it says, which makes us in some ways spiritual Jews. We're not truly becoming Jews. We're not made to force into keeping there. But we fall into the promise of Abraham, the promise that we are going to be blessed, the promise that we are a blessing because we are part of that blessing. And we want to be able to keep, the, keep this into, in mind because it is so strong. And he goes, that the blessing of Abraham might come unto the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And we've talked about faith. Faith is that whole idea of it is confident assurance. And we've talked about it many times already. Faith will lead to action. If you say, well, I got lots of faith, but you never do anything in that faith, you really aren't showing that you have faith. Uh, and we, we talked about it. We talked about it, the idea of sitting in a chair and you say, well, I got faith that the chair will hold me up and you sit in it. If you don't sit in it, you're really never showing that you have faith that the chair will hold, hold you up. And, and I've shared with people, there's chairs that I don't have faith in. And if you're big enough like me, you, you know what that's like. There are certain chairs that you will not sit in because you look at it and say, I don't think that chair is going to hold me up. So there's no way I'm going to sit in it and end up on the floor. Okay. But when I have faith, I will sit in the chair and say, I really believe this chair is going to hold me up. I sit in it. And then I get to prove whether it can hold me up or not. But that is the way it is with God. Do we truly have faith in him? He says, go out and make disciples. How many disciples have you gone out and made in your lifetime? How many people have you raised up and you've taught what Jesus said? You've taught them how to behave. You've taught them how to think. Goes out and he says, go out and share the gospel. How often do you share the gospel? And we say we have faith in these things, but we have to make sure we, we act on that faith. And that's what James says. You have faith and no works? Good. I will show you my faith by my works. He's not saying that he has faith because of his works. He's not saying that he has better faith because of his works. But he says, I've got something I can show you. I go out and I follow God. I step out in my faith and I can show you that I have faith. I have people that I've met in my lifetime that says, well, I believe all of this stuff. I go, well, when have you ever done anything about what you believed? Well, uh, I just believe it. <laughs> you know, if it's not tested, you really don't know whether you believe it or not. We never know what we believe until it's tested, and that's what we share. God puts us through tests all the time to say, do you really believe what you believe? When you say, God, I know that you say you shall not lie, and you say the lion, that lying under any circumstance is wrong, and he's going to put us in a circumstance that may seem like lying is the best chance to get out of the circumstance, and we're going to say, do you believe that lying is wrong, that lying is a sin? And you can pick any, you can pick any one of the rules. You know, 
Stealing, I believe stealing is absolutely wrong and then there'll be this position where you'll find yourself really tempted to steal something because it'll never be missed. The person's got thousands of them, they'll never miss one. You know, that's the logic behind bank robbery and stuff, you know, they're, they're, they're rich, they'll never miss it. You know, uh, you know, or stealing from businesses or taking the pens and the staples and the staplers and the notebooks and everything that people take from businesses because they got lots of them, they got a whole room full of them, they'll never miss one or two. Well, one or two by every single person in the place adds up. Besides the fact that they cost money. And most of the people that run businesses aren't independently wealthy. They're a handful, but most aren't. So God will put us in a situation and say, do you believe what I say is true? And are you gonna live it? And this is where it becomes really important because he's gonna put that test in front of us and say, Choose you this day who you will follow, God or the other gods, the idols. And it's real easy, believe me, it's real easy to make the wrong decision. We've all done it. Everyone in this room has made the wrong decision at least once or twice in your lifetime, or once or twice a day for most of us, or even once or twice a minute. You know, the temptation is out there because it is hard to live a godly life because we are fleshly beings. We, the more we put ourselves in God, the more we start thinking about God, the more we get into his word, the more time we spend with other Christians, the more we will do the right thing because we are becoming more and more spiritual and we have more and more of God to come out of us, but we are flesh. We want to do what's wrong in our flesh. Without it being crucified, without it being changed, we want to do wrong. It takes Jesus Christ in us to be able to do right. It takes hanging out with other Christians to say, to help us get better at living right. And this is why I've taught and others have taught it, if not just me. Coming to church is not going to make you a good person. It's not even going to make you a good Christian. But I can guarantee not coming to church <laughs> will lead you to a lifestyle that is not a Christian lifestyle. Because when you're in church, you're around other Christians who are going to encourage you and, and praise you for doing good things. You're going to hear teaching that is from the Bible. You're going to be exposed to Bible reading, and you will be, usually become better by coming to church. You will either become better, or you will harden your heart to the message of God totally. You've got two choices. Some people sit in church all their life, and all they do is get a hard heart toward God. Because they go, well, I can't keep it anyway, so I'm just going to do my time with God and and hopefully something good will come out of it. But I can guarantee I have never seen anybody who doesn't come to church that will stay faithful following God. There may be, there may be one or two out there that have, but I have not seen them. I've seen that when they drop away from church, their lifestyle goes into the lifestyle that the flesh wants to live. And that's disobedience, that's dishonoring God's word. And God is saying, I want to make you part of this. And he, and he specifically says here, verse 17, And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. It cannot make the, the promise of none effect. So Paul is saying, Abraham received his blessing by promise. And Abraham lived, when he got the blessing, 430 years before the law was given at Mount Sinai. 
Now, you want to be careful. I want to make this point, you know, for anybody, especially if you're listening to Christian radio or anything, a lot of times you're going to hear pastors say that the children of Israel were slaves in, in Egypt for 430 years. And they point to this verse to try to say that in one other verse. This verse does not say that they were slaves in, in Egypt for 430 years. It says the law was given 430 years from the time of promise, and the time of promise was when Isaac was born. So they have a, you know, about 230 years before they even went to Egypt. So they were in Egypt for a little over 200 years. So I just want to bring that out so if you don't, because I hear, I've heard many pastors teach very strongly they were in Egypt for, four, for over 400 years, and that is not what the scriptures say. So I just want to let you know that. Uh, but it's saying that you know, they lived by promise for 430 years, then God gave them the law. And we've talked about this, the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law wasn't God saying, okay, keep these rules and you'll come to heaven. Because we can't keep them. Abraham, uh, Paul in, in Romans said that the purpose of the law was to show us that we're sinners. Plain and simple, that we cannot keep God's standard. And we've talked about this. The law is who God is. He made the laws because it is who he is. He does not lie, so he says, thou shalt not lie. He does not lust, so he says, you shall not lust. He has no other gods before him because he is the ultimate. He is, there's nothing bigger and greater than he. And all the law comes from who he is. So he says, this is who I am. If you're going to spend time with me, you have to be perfect. You have to be able to keep all these rules. We can't. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why he had to come as a sacrifice to die for our sins. And then we put on his righteousness. The greatest news is God makes us perfect through the righteousness of Christ. This is powerful. I know I hammer on this a lot, but it's very powerful for us to get the whole idea that my righteousness before God is nothing, nothing to do with me. And I would say, thank God it has nothing to do with me. Because I am not absolutely loving to people. I am not kind to people all the time. I don't always tell the truth. I mean, I tell the truth frequently, but I tell lies. I, you know, we all violate these rules. So praise God, it is not by works that I go to heaven. Because in Isaiah, it says that all our righteousness is filthy rags. The best things I can do when I stand before God, he says, okay, here's all the good I've done, God. He says, okay, why are you standing in front of me in filthy rags? It does not please God for us to come to him in our own works. We come in him in the righteousness of Christ. How? We say, God, I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve punishment. I accept that Jesus died for my sins. Come and cleanse me. Make me a new cre creation. And he does it. Does that mean that we're going to be perfect right from that moment? Oh, don't I wish that was true. No, it just means that we have the power now to be able to live perfect as long as we allow him to do the work in us. We've talked about that. He crucifies the flesh. He gets rid of the flesh one area at a time, and he changes the way we act and think in certain areas. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us and changing us. And you find that, you know, you look back over your life and say, wow, what I'm, you know, the things I do today I would never have done back then, and the things I was doing all the, all the time then I don't do anymore. And you realize, it's not even me who did it. <laughs> I'm not the one that quit doing the things. It's the Holy Spirit changing my desires. 
and we are able to be able to say it, it was the promise of God. Not the rule of laws, not the rule of actions, not my strength that got me doing these things, but God working in me. The finished work of Christ, he, he was on the cross and he said, it is finished. He had paid for all sin. And all people have to do is accept him. And the Bible is full. If you start looking all through the, the epistles, and as you see it, you're going to see a very a term, put on Christ, be in Christ. Over and over again in Paul's epistles, he'll say, be in or put on or be clothed in. Okay, He's talking about the righteousness of Christ. Our strength, our, our, our good works will only come through Jesus. And it's very powerful. It's the promise. It was the promise. Abraham said, Abraham was told, everywhere your foot touches on this land is yours. Everywhere. And when you think about it, you look at what God promised Israel for their property. All the way up to the Euphrates, all the way to the Mediterranean, all the way down to Egypt's river, all the way back across most of Saudi Arabia, all of the Middle East, God says, belongs to the Israel. <coughs> Is there any wonder there's battles going on over there because of that? You know, Ishmael's children are trying to say it belongs to them because he was the oldest. And until God comes and takes care of it, there's going to be battles in the Middle East because you've got two brothers fighting over it. And the problem is nobody understands that. When, they, when all the Europeans come in there and try to help them solve their problem, they don't understand the problem. That is a family uh, civil war going on where one is saying it belongs to me because I was the eldest and God said I gave it to the youngest. And so there's going to be battle until the end of the seven years of tribulation and God sets up Christ as the uh, millennial kingdom of Christ and he will rule from Israel and Israel will actually have everything they've ever wanted which is all of the earth because Jesus will be the master of all the earth. So we've got that promise out there that sits out there waiting to be fulfilled. Verse 18, for the inheritance, if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, and, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So again, it's that idea. We are going out there, it is a promise, it is a gift of grace. Not of the law, the law didn't supersede it. And remember he said that once, once a promise is made, Nobody can change that. Nobody changes the way it is. And we all know that. If you have a contract, nobody is supposed to come along and change the contract after the fact. Now, we know that that does happen in our world, but it's not supposed to. Once you have a contract, that's supposed to be a legal document about what you're supposed to do and what somebody else was supposed to do. Abraham's contract was simple. He didn't have to do anything. Yeah. If you ever think about it, Abraham didn't have to do anything. The only thing he ever did was when God told him to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and he left after many, about 20 years and when he finally left the Ur of Chaldees completely. And when he left, God gave him an unconditional promise that Abraham didn't have to do anything else for, for that point on. You know, that is what salvation is. It's an unconditional promise to us. All we do is admit that we're a sinner. We believe that Jesus paid the price. That's the only thing we have to do. Everything else about salvation is from God. He does all the work. He fills us with his hidden self. 
Jesus comes to live in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The Father lives in us. We are full. He gives us a, he renews our spirit. Before we are a Christian, we don't have a spirit that's alive. We have a body and a soul. Doing what bodies and souls do, sinning. We get saved, we become a new creation. He creates a spirit in us that interacts with the spirit of God in, the, in us and sets up a battle within us, a battle between the spiritual and our flesh. And the more we let God have control, the more the flesh is destroyed. It's critical that we get to this point, that we let him be victorious because then he will speak to us, he will lead us, he will guide us. I hope that you've had this experience. There's times when I'm talking to people and I just know I have to talk to them. Now, know that I have to talk to them. Know that I have to do certain things. Jeremiah got to the point where he was so sick and tired of being thrown into jail and beat that he finally complained to God and says, I am not going to speak anymore for you. <laughs> then he turns around and says, the word burned in my mouth. I had to speak. Sometimes that's the way it gets when God is working with us. We may get to the point where we say, God, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like what's going on with me. I don't like being picked on by the world. I don't like being different from everybody else. And God's saying, well, just keep going. Just keep going. Try, try not to. Try not to. If you're called to do something and you try not to do it, you're going to be miserable. You're going, to you're going to have such great desires to do what God tells you to do, and eventually you'll do it. Whatever that might be in your life, you cannot reject God once he's part of your life. Will he, will he force you to do it? Well, I don't know. Like That burning in your heart is kind of a forcing to do. You still have the choice. You can still say, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, Paul, when he was knocked off the horse on the road to Damascus and blinded, could tell, you know, and God said, I want you to do this. He could have said no. Nobody in their right mind <laughs> would have said no, but he still had a free will. He could have said, no, I'm not going to go do what you, what you say because I don't believe that you're Jesus. He could have done all that kind of stuff. But again, it was one of those things. He was as close to being absolutely forced as you could be. God will get his way in the long run because he knows how to make it make us so miserable that we will accede to his his will it's better off to do it without being forced uh you know and like i say you're never really totally forced you still have the right to say no and if you, some people do there are people who have said no all the way and i think god has taken their life earlier than they should have because they refuse to do what god wants them to do very important that we go out there and we look and we say god i'm going to help you I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you want because I want to serve you. You're living in me and I want to do what you want me to do. And then you let him do the work. You let him do the work because that's what's important. He will do the work. We're going to close in prayer here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come to you. Lord, if there is anyone in this room that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, we ask that you touch their heart. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just come to him and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve the penalty of hell. I accept your sacrifice in my life. Come into my life and live with me. It's that simple. That simple. All right, we're going to close and, and sing a couple songs here.